Hello. All right. It's good to see all of you again. Today we are going to continue our series in Philippians, moving through just a few verses in chapter 2. As a quick review of the past few weeks, Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian church from prison. God has changed Paul's worldview for him to see success as living for Christ. Uh, we talked about God changing out Paul's lenses. He tells us that in the church, we are to live together as citizens of heaven, giving each person equal dignity. We are to strive to be a community united under Christ. And we talked about the church in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, which is our example of a community devoted to God. And last week, we finished with Paul, so the verse is right up to where we are today. So we finished with Paul sharing the good news of Jesus and what he's done for us in a poem that shares the gospel. Only through Jesus transforming us and through us living with Jesus as our example is a healthy church community possible. And this brings us up to our passage for today. So let, let's pray together before we start. Lord, please speak to us through your words. Um, Holy Spirit, work in us. Help us to desire you more um, and just to understand you more today so that we can love you and seek you with our lives, God. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to start off today with a story from high school. A buddy of mine from growing up has been here visiting this week, so it kind of just made me think of this again. From 9th to 11th grade, I took Spanish class as my foreign language credit. And for two of those years, we had a professor named Senora Levin. Now, Senora Levin was extremely nice and extremely gracious. But she was gracious, in fact, to a fault. She really had zero sense of justice or of what was right. And so basically, the class consisted of about, there was about 10 of us who were close friends, and most of them at the time were just very goofy, kind of out of control kids. Um, and so we learned not very much in this class, and the class was constantly out of control. So people would steal each other's bags and toss them out the window during class. People would climb out of said windows and go onto the awning and go up to another window and then climb back in and scare Senor Eleven behind her. We would put crayons in all the fan blades and then she would turn the fans on during class and they would just explode into a crayon shrapnel that would shoot all over the room. Always, Senor Levin would get very angry and yell at us in Spanish for a minute or so, which we did not understand. But then she would be very kind and gracious again immediately after. There was never any discipline. There was never really any justice for what we were doing. We never got what we deserved. And that was actually a really bad thing for us. Like I said, we, we didn't learn much, and the class was always in chaos. And so grace without justice here was not a good thing. And so today in our passage, we're going to learn a little bit both about God's love and grace and his justice, and how God is at the same time all of these things, and how that's a very good thing for our lives and for the world. In today's passage, Paul will also continue on the topic of living for God, both individually and in community, and what that looks like practically. And so we'll cover a bit about that as well, a bit about both of these things today. So let's begin with verses 12 through 13 again, and so you can follow along if you would like. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, 
Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So we're going to spend pretty much our whole time today on these few verses and kind of work through them systematically, seeing how each piece builds on each other. We start these verses with a therefore, which is referencing the poem that, ju that Paul just shared about the good news of Jesus. Paul shares that Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth, became human, and died on the cross for us. The Father then glorified Jesus to the highest place that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And so, because of Jesus and what he has done for us, therefore, we should, as Paul says, continue to work out your salvation. We should seek to obey and live for God because he loved us first, because of his great love for us, shown through us in Jesus. Jesus is that motivation to, to live. After the therefore, Paul's focus is on obedience. As the Philippians have obeyed God in the past and are continuing to obey God in Paul's absence, they need to continue to work out their salvation. From this buildup, it's pretty clear that the phrase, work out your salvation, um, means both obedience and action. As you have obeyed in the past and now continue to obey into the future. Paul is not just calling the Philippians to believe specific things. He is continuing to tell the Philippians to live out their faith practically as he has been doing in the past chapter and a half. He is saying this is what God has done for us in Jesus, so now obey God, live out your faith, work hard in your salvation. He's implying a living faith that expresses itself through actions. Now we'll continue to build on this, and Paul is not just saying live out your faith and obedience and action, but he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. On a first read, I don't think any of us like that sentence, or, right, no one likes fear or trembling. That's not a pleasant thing. That sounds pretty terrible. So we might be reading, for example, we're reading this passage on our couch at home, spending some quiet time with God, sipping a cup of tea, we're comfortable, we're cozy. We just read the poem and the verses before about Jesus' love and grace for us, and then we stumble onto this passage, and we almost spit out our tea. Should I be afraid right now? Should I be trembling instead of drinking chamomile tea in my pajamas? Should I lock my doors? How does this relate to Jesus' love for us that Paul literally just spoke about? To help with understanding this passage, we'll quickly look at another passage in the book of James. James talks about some really similar things, and in this passage that we'll read, he is encouraging the church to have true faith, which by necessity means that one's deeds and action reflect their faith. So I'll read this passage now. James says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and shudder. Firstly, James is saying that faith without action is dead. It doesn't exist. True faith is shown by the deeds that come from it. 
And in the same way, right here, Paul is calling us to work out our salvation. That means to live out our faith by obedience to God, following God with our actions and deeds. Secondly, these verses in James help illustrate what Paul means by fear and trembling. In verse 19, again, James says, You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the, even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Or another uh, translation says, and they tremble in fear. The demons believe and know that our God is the only God, as the passage says, but they also know that God is just. They know they have rejected God with their lives and have worked against him and are working as his enemies. And so they know in God's justice that, that they are underneath God's wrath. They are on the wrong side of God. They know that since God is perfect, all evil will have to be punished and all evil will eventually be destroyed. And that, that is what they all have coming for them. And so in Philippians, I believe Paul is both reminding us of God's justice with these verses, and he's warning us against our own complacency. And that warning against complacency is really in the form of a reminder of God's justice. One more time, one last time, Paul says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The fear and trembling here is referencing our God's perfect justice. God is perfect, and in his perfection and love, he hates what is evil. And in, at the end of our world, God will destroy all evil forever. That is a good thing. The fact that God is just is a very, very good thing. Like in my Spanish class, if there's no justice, it's not loving or good for anyone. If God just let evil reign forever, it would be horrible for all of us. And so thinking of ourselves drifting away from God or those we know and those we love being under God's wrath should cause fear and trembling in us. We need to continue to work out our, our salvation. We can't be complacent and think that because I followed God in the past, I'm all good now. I can just stop. Being an enemy of God is the worst possible place that we can be. And like the demons tremble in fear of the thought of God's right wrath against them, so should we. Now, before we go any further, let's remember these verses follow directly from Paul sharing the story of the good news of Jesus. They follow the story of our God loving us so much that the Father sent the Son to come and die for us, to bring, him back to, to bring us back to himself. We know that as Christians, Jesus took the wrath that we deserve upon himself. He took it so that we can live now. We know our God is so loving and gracious and merciful and kind. And so Paul follows the story of God's love and grace for us through Jesus with a reminder that our God is so holy, with a reminder that our God is just and we should not abuse God's love and grace that he has for us. For example, we shouldn't say that since Jesus forgave me, I can now do whatever I want. No, Paul is helping us to avoid falling into traps like that. Our God is perfect, and that means he's simultaneously perfectly loving, perfectly gracious, and perfectly just. And actually, these concepts that exist, that we have, come from God himself. Everything good comes from God. God is love, and love as it truly is and as it should be comes from God. Grace as it is and as it should be comes from God, and justice as it is, the concept, and as it should be, comes from God. 
As imperfect human beings, something we tend to do is to try and make God into our own image. We all have an image or an idea, whether it's conscious or not, of who God is. And for none of us is this image perfectly correct. One really clear example of this is in Western historical artwork where Jesus is a, is a white dude with flowing blonde hair, right? Clearly, we all know that's not very accurate. But on a more serious note, every single one of us does that to an extent. Every single one of us has a, has a twisted image of who God is. Some of us tend to focus only on God's grace and ignore that God is just. But when we do this, it's damaging to our lives. When this happens, we can have the tendency to allow for abuse or for sin to go unchecked in our lives and in other lives. In churches historically, and today, this has allowed sexual and racial abuse to abound. I mean, if you've read the news in the past 20 years, you'll see this happening. On the other hand, some of us tend to focus only on God's justice and wrath. We forget the grace that God has had for each and every one of us. And this can cause us to act arrogantly and to not forgive or love one another. It can make us harsh and judgmental towards each other. And so, to the best of our ability, we should be striving to know and understand more and more about who God truly is. We should strive to fully understand his character as best as we can. The way we do this, the way we understand God more, is through his words and through the Holy Spirit guiding us. And so as we go through our lives, we need to keep coming back to God's words and we need to be open to God's words and what that means for who God actually is and what it means for our daily lives as we yeah, walk through our days and our weeks and our months and our years. Now to illustrate this, I'm gonna give a little metaphor. I've been having a lot of conversations about coffee recently and so this, this came to mind. Coffee beans are roasted in a specific way to, to help them taste the best possible, right? And so when you make coffee, there's a lot of different factors that will either make it taste good or bad. If you use too much water, it's gonna taste diluted. If you brew it too fast, it can be sour. If it's too slow, it might be a bit bitter. And so if you do these things incorrectly, you will miss out on the goodness of the coffee that is there. But if you brew your coffee correctly, the right temperature and grind and time, then you'll get those delicious flavors that were sitting there in the coffee the whole time. In a, in a similar way, when we pick and choose what we want to believe about God, we really miss out on who God is and on the goodness of our God. On one side, if we only focus on God's grace, but not his justice, that's not gonna show us who God really is. It'd be like brewing a sour coffee. If we only focus on God's justice and forget about his grace, that also won't show us who God is. It'd be like brewing a bitter coffee. When you improperly brew coffee, you miss out on the flavors that, that are there. You're just missing them. And so using that metaphor, when we misunderstand God, we miss out on some of his wonderful goodness that is there. But when you brew coffee correctly, you get to experience all of those delicious flavors that were sitting there the entire time. And so to continue that metaphor, the more of a complete picture and complete understanding we have of God, the more beautiful that we're going to realize that he is. When we understand more, God more fully through his words in the Bible, we get to experience more of his goodness that has always been there. 
God is so good, and the more we know him, the better. And so, based on that, I would, I would challenge you to ask yourself, are there any aspects of God's character that you tend to ignore? Or are there any aspects of, of God in the Bible that you don't fully understand, or that you don't fully want to be true? Be honest with yourself and with God, and ask him to help you to understand him better. Ask him to help you to understand him more fully. Our God is perfect, and that means the more we know him and understand him, the better. I know that was a bit of a tangent, so we'll, we'll bring it back again. To review, in our passage, Paul is encouraging us to obey God and to live out our faith in obedience and actions. He reminds us in the previous verses of God's love and grace for us, and he reminds us in these verses of God's justice and his holiness, and that we should have a healthy fear and respect for God's justice. Now, finally, we'll move on to the last words of these verses, which should actually give us a lot of comfort as we, as we meditate on them. Paul says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Even though we know the justice of God, even though we should have a healthy fear of, of rejecting God and of God's wrath, as Paul says, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's God who gives us the will or the desire to live for him. And not only that, it's God who gives us the ability to act or to live out our actions for him. So both the desire and the action, first and foremost, comes from God. God doesn't just leave us out to dry. He doesn't tell us to obey him and then leave us without any help. He will be faithful to give us desire and empowerment for action. And we should trust him in this. Does this mean that we're never going to struggle to desire God or to be motivated towards loving action? I don't think so. I think every single Christian at times has struggled to desire God. But I think this verse really opens up a freedom for us to be honest with God when we don't desire him. When we don't desire God, we can tell God and we can ask him to give us desire. We don't need to pretend or to hide our lack of desire for him. When we don't want to do the right thing, or we don't want to seek God with our actions, we also don't have to hide that from God. We can admit it to him, admit to him our weakness, and ask him for his strength that we need. He is our Father who gives us good gifts. He says he will give us the desire and the ability to act, and when we don't feel that, before anything else, we should firstly go to him and ask. This conclusion given here is, is pretty similar to that of the previous verses from last week. Last week, we saw that the sole way for the church to live in community was to have the same mindset as Christ. So basically for Christ to transform our minds and our hearts and for us to seek to have his mindset as well. In the same way, for us to continue to work out our salvation, to be obedient and to live for God, we need to fully rely on him. We need Christ to work in us to give us that desire and that ability to live for him. We need to ask God for his help. We don't have to rely on ourselves, which is extremely comforting, very good news for all of us. And so we're going to end now today uh, just with a little bit of reflection on that. 
And, and I want you guys to ask yourselves these questions as well, if, if you remember any of them when you get home. But ask yourself, are you completely honest with God and with your sisters and brothers here at church or with, with other Christian sisters and brothers that you have? Do you pretend that you have things together or pretend you have desire for God even when you don't? And ask yourself, do we really rely on God for desire for him, for strength for him, or do we rely on ourselves? Let's be honest as a church, and let's be honest with God and, and honest with one another as a community here at IPC. All good things come from God, and we need to remember that and to live that out. And so as we go today, let's be asking God to help us to understand him and his love and his grace and his justice better. And let's ask him to give us desire and the ability to act for him in our lives. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for revealing yourself to us through your words in the Bible. Um, that is just a complete blessing. Lord, help us to believe your words and to better understand who you really are. Help us to, to think through our image of you and, and our thoughts about you and to really think through, are these accurate? Who we have you in our mind, is that who you really are as you've shown us in the Bible? Lord, teach us more about yourself and teach us more about your love for us and help us to love you more each and every day with our lives, God. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, we'll now have a time of worship. Let us stand as we respond with songs of worship. Sorry, can you show me what the next song is? <laughs> <laughs> 